Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and you're listening to the Nerdette Book Club. Each month, we read a different book and talk about it. It's just like a normal book club, except you don't have to share the amazing treats you made. And if you didn't do the reading, that's totally cool. You can still hang out. So today, we're talking about Uncanny Valley. It's a memoir by Anna Weiner. It's about Silicon Valley and the tech industry. Our panelists are Kara Swisher, a tech journalist and host of the Recode Decode podcast. Kara, you have been covering the internet like before the internet existed, right? Yes. Since Al Gore invented it, yes, in fact. And, and in <laughs> fact, he did. He was an important part of the legislation that created the modern internet or the commercial internet. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I've been covering it since the nineteen early 1990s, uh, first at the Washington Post, and then I wrote a book uh, and then came here uh, to San Francisco in the mid-90s. That is awesome. And Trisha Bobita, Nerdette co-host emeritus. Hey, Trisha. Hello. And, of course, we're going to be hearing from some of you as well. We got a lot of really great listener voicemail and comments on our Goodreads discussion board. So before we start, Trisha, I want to put you on the spot immediately. I feel like it's important to unpack for a moment the title and what Uncanny Valley actually means. It's a fun play on words Uh because, of course, it's a concept from technology that when things that are not human are computer generated and animated to look too human. Hello. I'm a human, and I have feelings like everyone else. When they are not human, that little distance that's left between is unsettling to us. And I think the first time I felt it was Tom Hanks in the Polar Express, where the animation was just a little too human. Your attention, please. Are there any Polar Express passengers in need of refreshment? My thoughts. Like, clearly animated. But a little too much like it was really Tom. But just kind of creepy. Yep, just a little creepy. Well, and I think even like the graphic on the cover of this book kind of exemplifies that too, right? Where it's like just a little blurrier than it should be. And it's almost nauseating, even though you should still be able to get a sense that it's a person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with that out of the way, I want to talk a little bit about the book in general before we dive into discussing it. It came out last month. It's a memoir. It's Anna's first book. She is a contributing writer to The New Yorker, and she writes about tech and silicon. Valley. It takes place in the 20 tweens. Essentially what happened was Anna graduated from college right after the 2008 crash. And so it's sort of like an unsettling economic time. She starts a job in publishing. It doesn't pay super well. She describes herself as being downwardly mobile, which I kind of loved. And essentially it's a coming of age memoir about a young woman who moves from the publishing industry in New York City to the startup tech industry in San Francisco with all the good and bad that comes with it. You know, she starts in public right as Amazon is really starting to take over and is disrupting that industry. So she's like, all right, peace. I'm going to make this jump to tech. And she first works at an analytics startup and then moves on to a bigger company. And it's worth noting, I think one of the things that stands out the most about this 
book is that none of these companies are named. She uses very few proper nouns in this story. And it's a style throughout the book that is kind of, I don't know, it's it's dividing. People feel differently about it. But like, you know, in reference to Facebook, what does she call it? It's like the, the social, social media platform everyone hates. everyone hates, but can't stop logging into. Um, and it was funny, actually, because we got a bunch of listener comments about this, too. Let's listen to a voicemail from Allie, and then we'll talk about it a little. Hey, Nerdette. It's Allie from Chicago. I find the lack of proper nouns pretty alienating, and it takes me out of the story every time I encounter one because I'm thinking, is this someone I should know? Is this a company that I recognize? Is it a famous company? What's their history? And so it really just breaks from whatever else she's saying. I thought it was kind of fun. It was like a little puzzle, but I'm curious, Kara, what did you think of that stylistic choice? Yeah, I, I would agree. I thought that a little bit uh, labored when she did that. I mean, everyone knows what they are, and it was uh-huh. sort of a wink, wink, yeah. nudge, nudge kind of thing. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, I, there's been a lot of books of sort of being inside these companies. I'm thinking of Dan Lyons wrote uh, a book about his time at HubSpot um, and some others. A very funny book, actually. He used to be fake Steve Jobs. Um, and there's lots of, you know, there's tons of these books of being in Silicon Valley, some of them very fanboy-like, what a great, wonderful journey. Others, you know, there's there's just different kinds. And I don't know why you wouldn't name them because it's clear she's at GitHub. She's at, she's talking about Google. She's talking about blank. Um, and so I, I don't mind it when it's, when it's fiction, mm. like um, Dave Eggers' book, sure. um, The Circle, but it, which is obviously about Google's sort of, I guess, and it's very clear. Um, but when it's in nonfiction, I'm not sure why she doesn't just say where she is and what she's talking about. Yeah. So what do you think, Tricia? I mean, I guess at first I was like, oh, is she trying to actually make us not delineate between these companies for some reason where it's like, oh, this is just they're all the same. Right, right. Is that why? But then there's enough identifying info. We are meant to know who they are. So yeah, I, I wasn't sure why it was necessary. And I could see it being distracting. Yeah, which I did kind of like about it. A lot of people wondered if it was because of legal reasons, but she does, no. she has said that it is just a stylistic choice. Yeah, it's a stylistic. She's just trying to be like, like let me, I don't even have to tell you the difference between these companies. And she can make that point with just saying the company's names. They are unusually alike. A lot of these companies, <laughs> right. you know, GitHub is like... <laughs> Like Google is like, Facebook is like, and they have different permutations. They're more cult-like at Facebook. <laughs> they try to be aggressively wacky at Google, things like that. They have all their little weirdnesses, but they're all the same in the ways that make no difference, as that famous phrase goes. What's the Dostoevsky quote? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Weird internet companies are all the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kara, how else, I mean, aside from the stylistic choice, you mentioned a couple of other books that are, take place in this world. Obviously, this isn't the only thing written about tech. How do you think this book stands out as a book about tech? Well, it's good. It's the outsider, you know, outsider coming in. That's, you know, from Alex, Alexis de Tocqueville, coming in and looking, like, look at this strange little place. And, you know, it's perfect coming from a New Yorker. Um, There's been lots of writers who come here and sort of treat Silicon Valley like a safari. Like, I'm here to look at the weird animals and what they're doing and with their money and their weird hoodies and things like that. But I think she does depict sort of the sense of if you're not sort of in the cult or in the club what it feels like to be an outsider here Um, and how at the same time you get pulled up into it because there's a lot of really, you know, the food is great. It's forward, forward, forward thinking. And so I think she did an excellent job of that feeling and without being too 
easily dismissive. A lot of you can either go total snark on these people, um, sort of from the from the old gawker days, or you could just just start to look at them and sort of describe them. I think she did a good job of that. Yeah, well, and I think you know, as you mentioned, she's an outsider in several different ways, right? Like she's coming from mm-hmm. New York. She's a woman on the scene. She's also not actually an engineer either. Like she's, she's not. That's important. She's always doing you know customer service adjacent jobs, even though she is still a woman in tech, which I think you know adds those layers of what makes it really interesting. I also thought the self deprecating way she played mm-hmm. with her one foot inside, one foot outside approach was fun because she talks about being down for the cause and then going, <laughs> wait, what is anyone ever talking about here? You know, she she has moments where she's feeling completely bought in part of the team and then moments when she's like, why is everyone eliminating vowels from the ends of her words? <laughs> For legal reasons, for wearing the t-shirts or whatever, you know, like any club, it's a club. Like any, it's like a team or something like that. And Silicon Valley has its weirdnesses, and I think she's so self-aware that she's aware of how odd it is, and at the same time wants to belong. Um, which I think is kind of nice. It's sort of poignant in that way. And right. also she likes the money, obviously, the, the the feelings of wealth and that this the possibility of becoming very wealthy. Well, and I think it works, too, in terms of a story. You know, they always say with journalism, with storytelling, that specificity is universal. And I think this book did a really good job of that. As you just mentioned, Carrie, you know, that idea of like just wanting to fit in, but also realizing what a strange place you found yourself in, I think is a feeling mm-hmm. that a lot of us can relate to in whatever world we end up in career-wise, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Again, there are certain thematic things that are all the same, which is whether it's these obnoxious software people or the investors who are, you know, these sort of soft-handed venture capitalists kind of people um, or, or whatever. And so she does she does pick out the very specific things. But I think what's nice about it is that she can observe it and yet she's also part of it, which I thought I thought that was uh, very strong. Um and, and and instead of just – you can easily just come in and make fun of it. I, it reminded mm-hmm. me a little bit of Michael Lewis's Liar's Poker because mm, yeah. he was part of it, right? Um, and he also made fun of it, but he also wanted to be there kind of thing. Yeah, I imagine that would be a, a, a tricky tone to be able to capture, especially mm-hmm. in retrospect, right? Yeah, yeah, because she's not like she, you know, at this, you can you could easily write this book in a very different way, which is just snark, 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 snark about it. And yeah, there's a yeah. lot to be snarky about. Trust me, I like deal with these people every day. But <laughs> at the same time, it's it, you know there is a phenomena of entrepreneurship and innovation, and and there has to be that has to occur. Every 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 group of people have their own language, whether it's Hollywood or Wall Street or wherever. And I think she does. She sees it and sort of she's she can be very caustic here, uh, and it, she's such a good writer. But at the same time, she's also understanding its importance and its impact, negative and positive. Yeah, I think there's an earnestness that makes it more relatable because you're right. If it were snarky all the way through, I I don't know that I would have been able yeah, to read that. Yeah, it's like, like it, that it would works be sometimes. It works. Dan Lyons does a nice job in his books, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. You know, ultimately, you could make fun of all that, like the down for the cause or or whatever. Um, but what I what I got from it, which I think which people do not get, is exactly how incompetent a lot of these people. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yes. And how how very thin the ideas are. Um, and when, when, especially with the ebook startup, I was like, oh, this isn't going to end well. Because I'd seen a million of them, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, they, But they that they even believed that it was okay sitting there in their desks, eating their snacks. It was just like, oh, you know, I know where this is going. Yeah, and, and so I love that part of it. And, you know, so she did a nice job of walking you through that. Um, 
enough for the regular readers, just the way, say, the show Silicon Valley uh, with um, on HBO did an excellent uh-huh. job of. So for insiders, it, that was a great show because you cause you saw all the weird jokes and you understood them. But if, even for outsiders, you got it. Yeah. You know, it was sort of this motley group of people trying to make something. And you didn't need to know about tech to know about that. It's the same thing as the Mary Tyler Moore show a million years ago or Cheers. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where you are. It's a motley group of people sort of stumbling towards incoherence. It's like Parks and Rec with a lot more money. (laughs) Yeah. I love Parks and Rec. It's such a good show. (laughs) So, Kara, then from your perspective, do you think this is like a pretty accurate portrayal of Silicon Valley? It sounds like you do. For her, yes, absolutely. I, you know, yeah. I just you know, I think people here probably would say it's mean, you know, because they're in the victim phase of their existence. Because mm. you know, nothing says ridiculous like a billionaire, privileged people who feel uh-huh. like victims, billionaires, yeah. privileged like, like victimhood. Um, that was sort of the Michael Bloomberg thing on the in the debates. <laughs> I'm like, I don't feel uh-huh. sorry for you even for one second. Um, but I think she was. I think she was very kind. I think that's why it's a good thing, and I think it will give access to people who don't know this space without alienating the people in it. It's very recognizable. And so I think what she didn't do as much is sort of understand the implications of what it is, of what's going to happen and what they've done. Um, Because it's not just, you know, you could do this, you know, hey, party, it didn't work. But at the same time, there's been really significant implications for all this creation that are negative. And I think maybe I would have liked more of that. She hints at it, right? Yeah, sure. There's just the touch of the Snowden references Uh and her finally wondering out loud to a friend, do I? Yeah contribute to the surveillance right. state? Right. Uh-huh. Yes, I'm going, I thought you'd never ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah she does. She, it's because of the time frame she's writing in. She had, I think it, yeah. I'd love to see an adding of this, like, now. But she's not in it. So what's it like to be there now when everything isn't up yeah. and to the right? Yeah, that kind of reminds me a little bit of a voicemail we got that also wished that some of these bigger themes had been unpacked a little. Let's listen to Anne Greet. Hi, Nerdette. Uh, thanks again for organizing a book club. I enjoyed it last month. I really enjoyed Anne Carnivelli as well. I really liked the book. I think uh, the writing was very good, uh, kind of witty and fast-paced. I do have one criticism, though. I felt sometimes um, the characters were kind of... I was missing something from them. I also wanted to know why are people this way or why are people acting this way in Silicon Valley? Uh, why are women being marginalized? Uh, felt she kind of brushed up on a topic but didn't really go in depth and would have really enjoyed some analysis on that. Thanks again. What do you think, Trisha? Can you see where she's coming from? Yeah, I mean, I think her... Not being an engineer, as Kara said, is a really important sort of excuse that she gives to the male engineers often in the workplace. She's like, well, they are smarter than me or they are Mm -hmm. more important than I am in these companies. And I think the tone could have been deeper and different if she hadn't had what felt like a real inferiority complex in every room she walked into, basically. Yeah, there's that great line where she talks about when she goes to the conference in Chicago that's like a women in tech thing, and she talks about how ironic it was that she had imposter syndrome even at the women in tech conference because she just wasn't in tech the way everybody else was. Yeah, I think one of the things is that it's she, she does do stock characters here, but they actually are like this. You know what I mean? Like they are that <laughs> superficial in their lack of – one of the uh-huh. things that I talk about in Silicon Valley is they they don't understand consequence. They're, they don't consider consequence. Um, and so they abrogate their responsibility and they do that by not even considering the consequence of anything they make and, and the implicate the downstream implications. And one of the things I always say is they are so non-reflective in Silicon Valley. They 
they can't even see in the mirror. <laughs> um, and so they're like vampires in some way. And and so I think one of the, the, the things that she gets right here is the blankness of a lot of these people. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's why they seem blank, because they actually are blank. And I know that probably underneath they're much more complex. But when you get in these companies, it, back then especially, now everyone's a little more like, oh, uh-oh, they've grown up and the, they've stayed too long at the fair kind of thing. Uh-huh. But they were like this, like, what's not to like, you know? And I was like, well, that, 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 and that. Like, I was always <laughs> one pointing out, yeah, largely because I'm 100 years older than most of them. Um, but uh, but it's, it's it's she does reflect that. And I think she could have gotten into development because there are much more com- complex people here uh, who are struggling with a lot of the stuff. Sure. So Tiff from Goodreads had a really interesting point that maybe all of this stuff is actually just too recent to enjoy as a time capsule, which I thought was an interesting point, especially from your point of view, Kara, because you just are in this world all the time. Do you think a book like this would be more powerful if it had been written five or 10 years from now? I, I don't know. You know, she's right in there. It's a memoir, really, yeah. is what it is, right? Yep. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Would it make sense then? Would you care? Right. Like, would you right. care so much? You know, I just, I, I don't know. It, it, it reminded me a little bit of, you know, when Joan Didion did her, you know, the uh, Slouching Towards Bethlehem uh-huh. or the or the, the White Album and stuff like that. You know, she went, those were long magazine articles, right. obviously. But she sort of went in and what, what an amazing writer she is, right? Yeah. Um, but she went into California, whether it was Joan Baez or about a murder or about, you know, a visit to the Haight-Ashbury during the height of the Haight-Ashbury. You know, she's going in and seeing and then telling you what she sees and is always the outsider. So I don't know. If it would benefit from time. I don't know if it would at all. If it needs more distance. Yeah, I don't know. So what are know. some of the scenes that stood out to you the most, Tricia? I mean, there were a few. I think one that lots of people have written about is just that excerpt that is getting pulled about her encountering uh, a homeless man who's wearing the company hoodie on the street mm-hmm. and her being sort of shaken by it and thinking about it and telling the story to a friend at work. And that friend's response being, I wonder whose hoodie it was. They aren't supposed to give those away. (laughs) And I put my bro voice on for that Uh recounting, but it Uh feels accurate. And I think the self-awareness, not just about what the tech industry is like, but what has happened and is happening to San Francisco. Um, I've only visited that city a few times in my life. I wouldn't pretend to know what it was, what it is, but... That is a character in this story as much as any of the people she's meeting. Absolutely. Yeah. What did you think, Kara? Lots of things stuck out. You know, I think she does get this, this sort of the T-shirt wearing, the funny, the the juvenilization of everything, like games and these redonkulous pronouncements people make. You know, the one, uh, uh, like, we are making products that can push the fold of mankind or something like that. So, <laughs> like, I, I have sat in those things. And so I, I liked all of it. I don't think there was particularly, I think she was sort of, you know, this is my journey through. This is my, mm-hmm. I'm wandering through here and I happen to be a very good writer. Um, and yeah, definitely San Francisco, de- definitely is a character in this because the the changing San Francisco, which is always changing, of course, since it was founded, Mm -hmm. um, is part of that. And I see it as like a stranger in a strange land, like that kind of thing. And so I I liked the whole journey of it. And I think the individual details um, sort of coalesce together, come together rather than individual parts of it. 
Yeah, some of the details were hilarious too. Like there's this one moment where she runs into someone who she had worked with at the data company mm-hmm. and um and she gives him a hug and she says he smells like mango vape. <laughs> <laughs> and I just it's just like such an ex- exquisite strange like moment from that time and place that I just well, thought. But she's good on details really, too. I yeah, mean, she's, she's so good great. on details. She's great. Yeah. I think the thing that really shocked me which I suppose shouldn't have but just the way she talked about it was when she moves when she's working at GitHub and she moves over to the uh, terms and service team and it's like her and three other people and it turns out they're the people who are trying to distinguish posts between like neo-nazis and you know like what is actually harmless and what is fomenting violence And it just well, that's the incompetence, right? That's the like right, this, exactly. these people don't know yeah, what they're doing, and I think she gets that. I, I always try to say that, like they're not as smart as you think. Like I'm always right. like they're smart, but not as smart as you think. And I thought my favorite one was the um, this one. There's one line that was, "How would you describe that when she's doing the interview?" Which I think a lot of people have written about these weird interviews. <laughs> uh-huh, where she goes, uh-huh. "How would you describe the internet to a medieval farmer?" Asked the sales engineer, <laughs> opening and closing the pearl snaps on his shirt, sticking his hand thoughtfully down the back of his own waistband. You can just see that. It was so like it was so visual and beautifully written um well they're asking such a ridiculous question um you know i thought that was good and also she's hard on herself and she does get in the ideas around the sexism that goes on at the company mm-hmm. um you know but she does dress like them she starts wearing stuff like them and mm-hmm. she 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 says she, i think she said she's compelled to optimize it uh, her inefficient <laughs> life essentially and so she gets into it too and there is much to much to like about it in that regard like yeah it's not she doesn't just sit there like a new york a brooklyn hipster going these people suck like i like right. that about it yeah, she's in it. Yeah, yeah, I think the the whole terms and service thing just really reminded me, like I knew that the tech comes before the ethics, like that has mm-hmm. become very clear in any number of news stories that we've heard about data sharing mm-hmm. or election interference or whatever. But I don't know, there was something about that specific anecdote that was just like, oh, shit. Yeah, four yeah. people for nine million users, I think yeah, was the you ratio. Know, it's just like, well. oh, no. <laughs> They know what they are doing. <laughs> you know, she does print, paint them as like sort of these sort of just, oh, what? Like they're not, oh, what people. They're adults. That's the right? that's my biggest problem with all of it is, you know, when they're t- they always talk about Mark Zuckerberg, you know, young. I'm like, he's a father with children. He's an adult. He's an yeah. adult. Stop treating him like he's a boy. And I think that, that, that the boyness of it, you know, I have two sons and uh, also a young daughter, but the juvenilization of men, I think yeah. she gets really well here. And I think that really does happen here. And it's so frustrating. You know, at some points, I think my teenage boys are more mature than a lot of people I cover. You know what I mean? Like it's kind yeah. of – it's an interesting thing, and I think she that she gets really well, and and the implications of a Peter Pan like place it may seem delightful, but as you know from Peter Pan, it's or Pinocchio or anything like that. What happens? You end up at the island of donkeys or dreams end. Mm-hmm. Well, right, because it seeps into the company culture so much to the point where, like, sure, it sounds great at its face to have limitless vacation and be able to work from right. home. Like, cool. Yeah. But then also, like, the part of me that thrives on rules is just like, but how does that work? <laughs> well, they, rules are a bummer. I don't know if you know. <laughs> they are, but they're also very functional. Oh, they're Kara. not a bummer. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and every time they say that to me, it's like when they used to say, you know, when I started covering Silicon Valley in the 90s, they all had these weird uh, cards with stupid um, titles. It's well before Mark Zuckerberg was, hello, I'm a, you know, I'm the CEO bitch uh, card he had, <laughs> which I actually have one of those. Um <laughs> 
they had like chief people officer was the unweirdest of them but like chief yahoo i remember jerry yang who, who started Yahoo. i'm chief Yahoo. i'm like what's that like what, why do you need to do <laughs> what that does it mean? Um, and they would like to have weird designations for themselves and it was so cooked um and so juvenile it was it was striking even then and uh, and it's, it continues to be striking and she does a nice job of that and i think women who work outside tech will be uh able to recognize something that happens to her in her office, which is, I think she puts it as she's supposed to be the sister slash mother slash girlfriend to the men Mm. in the office in various ways, no matter what her job title is. Mm -hmm. The emotional labor that she's supposed to do. She's in charge of snacks. She's in charge of being Wendy. (laughs) Exactly. Darning the socks. Okay, let's take a quick break. In a minute, we're going to talk about how the tech industry has changed, if at all. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello, this is Art Perry from Brookfield, Illinois. I'm a software consultant, and I see many reflections of my own job experience here, especially descriptions of tech conferences and speakers. The situation for women in tech is difficult, but hopefully getting better. My daughter is in her third year of university in engineering. I hope she can persevere through all of those challenges. That's voicemail from Art. Kara, what do you think? Like, is tech really different? What's different about it? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's kind of over. A lot of this is over. And that's the one reason why she should have written it now, because a lot of this has changed. Everyone's getting a little older. They're growing up a little much. And the people that are coming behind them are a little less this way. Like you can see young people, they're much more younger entrepreneurs are much more aware of implications. Yeah. They don't want to rush off to work at Facebook or Google. It doesn't, they don't hang the moon anymore, as you know, as you say. So I think this was a good time to, to chronicle this time period. And what do you think made it change? Reality. Reality bites. <laughs> As a Gen Xer, I can tell you reality bites, um, which is a great movie. You should see it. Uh, Ethan Hawke. Um, I love the soundtrack. Uh, uh, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Um, you know, I think it's just the implications is that there was, you know, here's an industry that has had never had a rule. Let me just say, like, Wall Street has rules. Chemical companies have rules. Uh, Hollywood has – everyone publishing has rules. Um, Silicon Valley has no laws or regulations. And therefore, what do you think is going to happen? You know, what do you think is going to happen when when the implications of what they're created have negative effects? And I think the idea of not anticipating negative effects and then having no nothing – to pay for it once there are negative effects has made people realize that things cost. You know, to going back to, you know, a lot of different things is the idea of things costing is a really big thing. And, and at first they resisted. It's sort of like the seven stages of, of denial that you might have. But now they're starting to see 
what the cost of things are. And I, I think that's an important moment in growing up. And again, I'll go back to Joan Didion. I was just looking for this quote. When she was living in New York, I think it was, and, and she was having a great time, and then suddenly everything sort of went sideways, right? And she had to leave. And she goes, that was the year, my 28th, when I was discovering that not all the promises would be kept, that some things are in fact irrevocable. Mm-hmm. And it had counted after all, every evasion, every procrastination, every mistake, every word, all of it. I, I think that's what this, <laughs> yeah, this wow. said to me. Well, I know, right. She's so good. Joan Didion is like, when you read just one quote by her, you're like, oh, man, I wish I could just write one sentence like that. Right. Um, but, you know, it all counts. And I think that's, and I think they never thought it was going to count, and it counts, and it has okay. implications. I mean, so you're saying that industry leaders finally get the things cost or finally realizing No, they don't. Are- they don't. Well, they, but they did. They are now, right? Or they are more than they did before? I don't know if they're ever going to ever take responsibility. You saw Mark Zuckerberg give a speech the other day. He's like, we're just going to be honest now because no one sure. likes us anyway. Right. I'm like, really? Is that, <laughs> that's what an eight-year-old says. Like, I'm yeah. just going to – I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to eat. And I'm gonna, no, I don't think they do. I think the leader of them is, is very much not thinking he is being victimized. Um, and so – but I think other people like Roger McNamee wrote Zuck. You know, he was an investor in Facebook. There's a lot more people where the penny has dropped and it's like, OK, this – not that all of it's bad, but a lot of it isn't good. And we need to talk about how we got there. Right. Well, I mean, my big question is like, do you think we get it? Like, do you think the normal humans yes. who don't like Facebook and are still logging in like actually understand the repercussions of what's happening? I don't know. I, I think they do. I think my kids do. They get it. They get the, the violations of privacy. They get data. And it has to be said to them because, you know, one of the things I tend to, to, to say to people when I'm giving speeches, I'm like, look, you are – they take your data. They become billionaires by using all the data you generate on a daily basis. De- they ping you. They know where you are. Your phone's pinged 20 times since you and I have been sitting here. I'm sure my phone has been pinging 100 times, um, giving them information, giving them data, giving them uh, value. And what do you get in return? You get a free map. You get to do, um, you know, you get to, like, send mess, cute messages with filters. You get, like, to look up, you know, when Gilligan's Island was on. That's what you get. You're a cheap date. And so I look yeah. at it and I go, you're all cheap dates. And the things you ch- exchange, you know, in in return for these allegedly magic beans, is it's you're not going to get a beanstalk. You're not going up to the giant's house. You're not getting the gold. They are. And so I think that's really I think the what what's gone on is people are realizing they are cheap dates. Yeah. That's Who said if something is free, you're the product? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They don't like that quote, <laughs> Silicon Valley. But yeah, that's exactly right. It reminds me of a comment we got from Nicole on Goodreads, which was, this book makes me want to throw out my phone and get off the grid down with the internet. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think in my anecdotal world of stories of people getting rid of Facebook, getting off social media, I did it in November. Not really even for like genuinely political reasons. I was just had read too many stories about how bad it all was and felt worse when I was on them Mm -hmm. and just decided to try it in the way that you might try meditating or try going gluten-free. I was like, I'm going to extract this from my diet and see how I feel. And I feel so much better without Twitter. 
Mm-hmm. But it's addictive. There's yeah. no question about it. I oh, think yeah. you, some of it you can't control. This is like sugar. This is like there's there, one thing they don't you don't realize, and I think someone should be investigating. Is, is I mean, I know that they have all these people on staff, psychologists, sociologists. They know what they're doing in that regard. And and it is, I, I people say, oh, just get off it. Like I know people say, well, just don't use it. I'm like, mm, you can't for work. You can't. You yeah. need to be digitally yeah. linked. And mm-hmm. secondly, it's actually addictive. It is designed. There is a reason you push that button. Mm-hmm. They know why you put it's like gambling or anything else mm-hmm. and so i don't want to abrogate everyone's responsibility for it but you are it is very hard to resist the way they make these things the colors they put in the way they're trying to engage you engagement which often leads to enragement which is really the point because that's addictive too is built into the system and until they architect it differently you can look at it and say, this is making me do something I don't want to do. So I, I think people, you know, it's such an American thing, like, just stop using it. I'm like, can you? You know, <laughs> after years of addiction, maybe not so much. You know what I mean? Or can they design it better so that you don't become addicted, And which is, I think, what they need to do. Right. But is that in their best interest? You know, no, like they of course want not. us. Their oh, business if model, they can right? figure out how to sell us Chantix for Facebook addiction, then we're fine because <laughs> no. somebody else can make money <laughs> no, off it. That's why sugar. They know. Sugar <laughs> people know. The cigarette people know. They know. And and so, no, I, I think it's really hard. I, they, there is a way to to participate in what's wonderful about the Internet. And I, that's why I like this book. Get back to Anna's book. There is a wonder and beauty to it. And it is amazing the things, you know, that we can do. Um, with these things, the communications. And the, uh, the, the idea of the Internet at first, when I started covering it especially, it was a really wonderful grand vision of a connected world where knowledge was shared. And there, there's still parts of it and there's still delightfulness to it all over the place. Like I, I know it sounds crazy, but <laughs> Jennifer Lopez is doing a TikTok challenge for her dance. <laughs> and I'm finding it delightful. Like yeah. there's wonderful things. And people are creative and you see some of it's silly, and but there's wonderful thoughts. People are very pithy on Twitter. Twitter. And at the same time, there's this whole awful part of it that is hard to shake that makes it just the worst experience of all time. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the uh, tweet that Anna had written that ended up kind of going viral in the book, which is tech needs to stop ruining everything I love. Yes. Yeah, because there's a lot to love about it. There certainly are. Um, And I think that's why I like this book. She doesn't go there. She doesn't you don't have to hate something to want it to be better, right? Just be better tech. Like, let's let's use a Melania <laughs> Trump. Be better. Well, that's patriotism, think, right? Is to expect yeah, right. more well, and better, not to just yeah. accept whatever is. There's so many wonderful things about it. People think I hate tech, and I don't. I love it. I hate what it's done to itself. Yeah. You know? Well, I think that's actually a really good note to end on because I okay. think it should be better, and we can be better, and yeah. so let's do that. And read this book. It's a great book. And read the book. Kara Swisher, thank you so much for taking the time. This was really fun. No problem. Thank you. And Trisha, you're the best. Thank you. All right, that's it for this month's book club. Next month, a new book, a new panel. We will be reading The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel. Find the details when you sign up for our newsletter at wbez.org slash nerdetteaf. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram too. We are at Nerdette Podcast. And hey, we have a pretty sweet little book club discussion group over on Goodreads. You can join the conversation there as well. The show is produced by me, Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. And our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Do your homework. See you next month.
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.